yeah, if we're going to go through 20 minutes to get one good line, that basically was the entirety of last month's podcast. I think we got a little bit of blowback from that being an hour and 40 minutes long. So I hope people are still listening. I mean, we can make it a two-parter and double the downloads next time. I in in retrospect, that's probably what I should have done. It's we had all that Super Bowl stuff, and I wanted to get it out before the Super Bowl. It was fine. It'll make people appreciate that this month is going to come in under an hour with nice ten minute interviews. Yeah, I'm definitely committed to getting this one in quickly, even if I have to cut people off in the middle of it. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. You've tuned into the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Two guys and occasional guests talking about the news in NCAA Division Three football. That's the largest division with the smallest schools. You know, the ones that don't get spring practice. Uh, and I'm Pat Coleman, the guy in charge of D3Football.com. My co-host Keith McMillan has been on 190 of these 192 podcasts. Keith, how does it feel to be a world champ? It never gets old. I can understand now why people hug and kiss the trophy and, uh, and all that stuff because... Uh, there's just no, there's no comeback to it. And no matter what anyone says about you, you just go, oh, we won it all. And that's the end of it. I read an Onion headline like literally in the last 24 hours that said uh, Philadelphia Eagles fans finally sober enough to go back to work. Yeah, it, it's something like that. Like there's still, uh, I was probably re-watching the game a couple times a week on the way home. Like different versions of it. They had the sound effects version. They had the highlights cut up and all this different stuff. So, yeah, uh, it took me a couple weeks to come down off the high. I've rewatched a a lot of the Super Bowl broadcast myself, but it's basically the one minute with uh, America the Beautiful over and over. People who know me personally know why, but we'll move on. Because uh, Division Three football was a a bit of a police blotter last season, at least for a couple of prominent programs. Both of those cases were in court over the last full week of February. We'll touch on those things in our podcast here. Uh, Coaching Carousel. Took a few more turns this past month uh, in addition to that. So I wanted to start with that for a second because, Keith, we're going to have a non-Westering as head coach of Pacific Lutheran for the first time in 19, since 1971. Uh, we're going to talk later in this podcast to coaches about reconnecting with uh, their disaffected alumni. And if, if you're PLU, where you've basically dumped a head coach who is a significant part of your legacy, that's something that uh, Brent McAdams is going to have to do. Yeah, and the the big difference too, you know, you'll hear later on in the Matt Moore interview how far and wide the PLU influence has spread. It's not just at at Pacific Lutheran, keeping tradition is a lot more than just um, playing a certain rivalry game or wearing the same colors or whatever. There are some really uh, deep-seated traditions at Pacific Lutheran, and a new coach has to decide what am I going to keep and how do I want to stay connected to the past here and how do I want to bring a program forward and incorporate some of uh, my own ideas and that's that's I think for that's for every coach at every program because you want to put your own stamp on it you you have to do the things that you think will be successful and you have to be yourself you know you can't try to be nobody can can be frosty westering westering um we can certainly learn a lot from him he's one of uh, I know Pat you and I one of the favorite people we've met over the course of doing this um but but nothing stays the same forever you know there's not a Gallardi in charge of uh uh, of St. John's, there uh, people were hinting after this uh, most recent Mountain Union National Championship that there may not be a, a Karis in charge of Mountain Union. So nothing stays the same forever, but you do uh, put some roots roots down and leave some influence behind. It, and, and a new coach has to come in and decide uh, what of that, how much of that is necessary to keep everyone connected to the program, and how much of it do I want to do? Uh, do I want to um, you know spin forward to put my own stamp on it? 
in the course of this podcast, we're going to talk with three head coaches who are heading into their second year with their new programs. First one will be uh, Dan Swanstrom of Ithaca College. We'll chat with Matt Moore, as uh, Keith mentioned, he's at Northwestern in uh, Minnesota. And then we'll chat with Jim Hilvert of Baldwin Wallace, formerly of Thomas Moore. Uh, and we'll talk about uh, Thomas Moore here, too. The, the schedule for Thomas Moore has been kind of much bandied about. For those who missed the news, I guess, during the course of last season, or I guess even going into the past season. Uh, Thomas Moore no longer will be in the President's Athletic Conference. It's termed as a mutual decision, but I don't know why you would want to pull yourself out of a conference when you don't have somewhere to go, and you're in a position where now you're going to have to play a schedule where you are playing uh, seven games on the road and traveling 3,778 miles by bus. I don't know if they'll all be by bus, but uh, if you were taking a bus with Thomas Moore this year, you would have enough bus mileage to get from Husson, you know, upstate uh, upstate Maine, uh, all the way to Claremont Mud Scripps in the L.A. area, and you'd still have more than 600 miles left over. Yeah, this is a pretty crazy schedule. Uh, seven road games, five of the first six on the road. They'll be at uh, Huntington in Alabama. They'll be at St. Lawrence in New York. They'll be in southwestern Virginia at Emory & Henry, Indiana, Minnesota. It's, uh, it's quite the trip. And uh, Thomas Moore, which is based in uh, northern Kentucky, right outside of Cincinnati, is uh, on one hand, you know, you have you have games, so um, that is true. That's fun, it, it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they have a full schedule. It's against all but all but one program on the schedule is a D three program. So to be able to fill out that game, it, uh, that game, that schedule is sort of remarkable um, because we saw there was a time when it was really hard to get games later in the season once everybody got into their conference schedule so if you take a look at this thomas moore schedule it is pretty front-loaded most of the games uh half the schedule is uh is september the first five games and they do have a a late october bye because uh it's just harder to get games later in the season but um you know they play at st john's in november they they, they're at st scholastica and muhlenberg and emory and henry uh in october so um, they got that thing filled out. And I, I remember when Wesley had this problem, mm-hmm. it was kind of fun, at least for us, to see all this cross-conference play or cross-region, you know, region, I guess, since Thomas Moore doesn't really represent a conference anymore. Uh, it was fun for the you know to watch Wesley play DePaul and Huntington and North Central and some of the teams they played over the years. But it'll get old for Thomas Moore real quick when they just, you know, for coaches, they don't want to spend their – offseason tracking down games they just want to have sort of seven or eight games built in you add a couple games um you know maybe it's cool to take your team on the road trip or maybe you want to add a game where you um get a win that'll help you get in the playoffs but you definitely don't want to be uh tracking down everybody's um open dates all the way through october november in the offseason yeah some of this is really cleverly done actually they play muhlenberg in october um that's one of the home games one of the three home games um the week that they play Muhlenberg is actually a week in which everybody in the Centennial Conference has a bye. So Muhlenberg is playing on its uh, on its midseason bye week. Uh, Emory and Henry is playing on a, them on a midseason bye week. Uh, there are not a lot of conferences that have these anymore. St. Scholastica has a midseason bye week because Eureka left that uh, the UMAC. Um, you know, St. Lawrence has a lot of uh, early season bye weeks because the Liberty League is so small. It's really basically um, kind of a uh, you're you're taking the buffet table of who are the the small number of conferences that have games in late September, October, and November that you can actually choose from. Yeah, and, and you know the crazy thing is when you look at this trip in terms uh, this schedule in terms of mileage, 
You have uh, five trips of uh, more than 500 miles. And as we know from all our playoff talk, uh, 500 miles is, is the number where the NCAA will pick up the tab and fly you yeah. during the uh, during the playoffs. So I am fairly certain that Thomas Moore won't be flying five times, but they go uh, 574 miles to uh, North Carolina Wesleyan, 550 to Huntington, 712 to St. Lawrence, 772 to St. Scholastica, and 786 to St. John's. So um, they're going to have to get on the plane or, or, or buy a bus. You know, rather than just uh, <laughs> a charter one, they may have to just uh, just buy one and save money on gas this season. Um, I'm sure they're going to get a sizable guarantee from St. John's. Typically, that's uh, teams that play one-off games at St. John's do. So maybe they'll get a flight from Cincinnati to Minneapolis. I don't know. Um, but that's uh, otherwise, it's not real easy to get from Cincinnati to Duluth, Minnesota, or to uh, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. Um, we talk with coaches this uh, in this podcast a couple times about what they do while uh, while they're on the bus on long road trips. So Thomas Moore folks are probably uh, going to want to take notes. Also, we uh, mentioned, of course, that uh, the the police blotter lit up again this past week. Um, the the five Wheaton players were in court this week, and uh, D'Angelo Fulford's representation was in court in Florida. Uh, we'll start with that second one uh, because we had our. Uh, I guess our legal correspondent, uh, call him our Roger Cossack, in the building at at that uh, court date in Florida. Basically, uh, another continuance in that case, and a case in which everybody had kind of suggested to us that this was going to be something that was going to be disposed with pretty quickly. Um, for the thumbnail sketch, for those who don't remember, um, Fulford had missed court dates in uh, Florida as a uh, juvenile because of uh, what turns out in court records to be a hazing case. We can finally say this because there are court documents to back it up. Um, we did not want to talk about it in that terms while there weren't uh, public documentation. There wasn't public documentation about it. Um, and, you know, basically that he had just missed the date because he had moved, hadn't gotten notifications, et cetera, et cetera. And everybody that we talked to on the Ohio side of this conversation thought that Florida would be fairly easy to wrap up and it hasn't been so far. Yeah. And, and it's probably not good um, for the, uh, for the Mount union side. You know, I think this is a chapter that, uh, that they'd like to, to get over with as soon as possible. Yeah. So we will keep uh, an eye on that. The next court date on that was pushed out until April 20th. The Wheaton case, for those who don't remember, is also a hazing case. Uh, took place uh, with a former teammate uh, back in, uh, we're talking about something that actually happened in March 2016. Five players from Wheaton, Kyler Craigle, Ben Petway, Noan Spielman, Samuel Tabas, James Cooksey uh, were accused. And I, I'm heavily citing a uh, recent report in the Daily Herald in the uh, Chicago area. Uh, accused of abducting a teammate from his dorm, uh, putting a pillowcase over his head, tying him with duct tape, leaving him partially nude on a baseball field uh, near an elementary school in Wheaton, Illinois. Um, you know, Keith, this hit pretty forcefully in terms of news in September 2017, more than a year, practically a year and a half later, the original charges. Uh, we recall that the school imposed punishment was to... Um, uh, require each of them to do about eight hours of community service and write an essay. And then this hit the courts and it's uh, something that also is continuing to go on. Yeah. And, and I think the big difference there when we talk to folks from the inside is there's a difference of opinion. There's, there's a difference from the school side and the district attorney side on, on how serious this matter was and is. And uh, until that gets 
wrapped up, you know, we won't know what the conclusion is in this case. I will say this, though, we'll talk a little bit later in the podcast about um, some, of some of the traditions that were mentioned, um, the, the Pacific Lutheran tradition of uh, early season breakaway. Um, and we'll talk to second year coaches about team building and program building. And I think it goes without saying that there are ways to do this um, at successful programs that don't involve um, whatever level of hazing this was, uh, whether it was, uh, you know, significant shoulder damage or, you know, putting a pillowcase over someone's head. You know, we, we used to do uh, one year we did uh, freshmen would get haircuts before the Hampton Sydney game. And they, they made us stop that because that was like borderline hazing. You know, they would give us like crazy, you know, just take clippers and go sideways over your head. And, and then you had to walk around with it. No, no hat for at least a day or something like that. But um, there are ways to team build that don't involve um you know, degrading somebody, putting them down, making you feel like, you know, almost like you're getting jumped into a gang or something like that. Like it, sh- it should never be that serious. I should say that the reason why they were, or one of the things that happened in court uh, this past week is that uh, defense attorneys uh, intended to subpoena the copy of the victim's medical records. The client was uh, uh, left with a pair, a pair of injured shoulders that required three surgeries, and they're trying to establish his prior medical history. Now, I really want to wipe that uh, that clean. That's far more time than I would ever want to spend on any of these sort of things, um, because this is Division Three football, and we shouldn't have to deal with that. But occasionally, you know, people are people, and it does come up. I think that's an accurate way to describe it. There, there's 250 schools, and and we're not all going to be all uh, perfectly squeaky clean. And I'd like to take this time to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by, well, my pocketbook, I guess. You could be reaching an audience full of Division Three decision makers, uh, coaches who need equipment. This is the time of year they do these things. Uh, all the schedules are filled out. So we're talking about uh, decisions to replace turf. They're probably doing that for 2019 if they're thinking about that now. Uh, all sorts of things just by sponsoring the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Keith and I will wax poetic about your product, um, especially if it needs waxing. We can wax it up. We'll buff it up for you before we go to break. Wax on, wax off. So think about it. Drop me an email at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. People still listen even when we drop 100 minutes of podcast on them. So that means you're missing out. Now on the d3football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Dan Swanstrom, the head football coach at Ithaca College. Um, And Dan, uh, you know, Jim Butterfield was hired at Ithaca more than 50 years ago. And when he retired, they promoted an alum who was an assistant coach from within. Uh, then you come in from the outside. So, you know, how were you received by the alumni, by the Ithaca football community? Um, I think kind of the, the running joke between uh, myself and the staff is uh, always a reminder that uh, Jim Butterfield um, was not an alum of Ithaca. Right. He certainly, he had plenty of success. But um, what I'm finding out uh, about being a part of Ithaca football and the culture here. Uh, It's very, very similar to the University of Pennsylvania um, in the sense of how the alumni and the the people who have been part of the program take tremendous pride um, at at playing here and being a part of this program. So um, once you kind of peel the onion back a little bit and get a little deeper and understand how much everybody – loves Ithaca and Ithaca College and the football program. Um, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, it's certainly a transition from within. And, um, 
you know, I, res I respect the history here and just uh, really just trying to do the best I can. And, you know, hopefully the alums and the people who've been a part of this program see that. If nothing else, you guys got the Cortica jug back, right? It's, it's almost as if nothing else really matters from year one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd like, I, I hope to think uh, getting a share of the conference title and, uh, you know, some other things are, are important too. Oh, sure. Uh, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, you know, in my world, it all matters. Um, but, uh, let's just say I was uh, inundated with emails. <laughs> yeah. This was, uh, this was your first uh, year as a head coach. What was that adjustment like after having been a, you know, a position coach at, at Penn, which you mentioned you'd spent several years at Johns Hopkins and other places uh, across college football. You, you know, what was interesting for me. Um, I played, I played four years of quarterback in college and, and the way I treated playing the quarterback position in college um, and playing at Rhodes, uh, I was very, very serious about it. And um, I got an education in the game of football um, through Joe White. And um, and like I said, I got four years of coaching experience. Um, and he treated me this, in, in such a way um, that it enabled me to get four years of coach. So I got a big jump start um, as far as uh, getting myself prepared to become a coach. And then getting to Johns Hopkins and working with Jim Margraff, who, who's one of the greatest coaches of all time, in my opinion, um, at the end of my tenure there, the one of the things he said is, uh, you know, me and him were, were sharing the job. You know, I was very, he kept me very involved in, in all the decision-making process since that were going on within that program. And, uh, you know, Penn was very different um, for me, you know, taking a step back as a true position coach and a recruiting coordinator. But the best way I can put it, I've always had strong opinions. Uh, I've always been very confident in making those decisions. And uh, making that transition and to be the person who actually makes those decisions um, was a, uh, a a very um, seamless transition for for myself. And uh, it really kind of feels like this is what I was prepared and built um, to do. Not the first week of the season, but very early in the season, you have to make a uh, you make a change to a freshman quarterback. Do you? instill in him then the same sort of experience that you got as a uh, as a college quarterback at the division three level well i think um i think anyone coaching the quarterback position who's been in that position who's held the ball uh, you have some shared experiences and, and understand what's realistic when talking to the quarterback and what is not realistic you know what what we would call in coaches speak you know clinic talk and stuff like that. So, you know, I think that's always helped me with, with the quarterback position. My, my big thing with, uh, with, with putting a freshman quarterback is just, uh, was just trying to get him in a position to be comfortable with what he was doing. And, uh, you know, we really weren't worried with much else, but, um, just having an understanding what he was comfortable with and then making sure I was trying to put him in positions that he, he felt good about. How did his prospects look for 2018 and kind of the rest of the uh, rest of the offense, the rest of the team in general? You, you know what's interesting about us? I think uh, you know I think we snuck up on some people as far as people didn't know what we were going to be doing offensively, um, defensively. I thought we were thought we were very good on defense. Um, we were very tough. We had two great inside linebackers. Our boundary corner, um, Jordan Shim, is fantastic. Uh, it was so we're losing. Um, you know, first team all conference guys and former all Americans and, you know, those type of players on defense. And I think there's going to be a transition. There's going to be another transition within our program is, uh, 
now people have film. Um, they know what we do offensively. They know what we do defensively in special teams. And, you know, I think we have a, a lot of work to do to get the, to where we want to be. Um, I think the quarterback has got a chance to be pretty good. Um, and uh, like college football, you know, every year we got a lot of holes to fill. And, you know, we just got to continue to develop our guys and continue to work at it. So, um not feeling great right now, but I shouldn't be feeling good right now. <laughs> uh, I have uh, referred to the quarterback as the quarterback because I wanted to hear you pronounce his name before I attempted it. Uh, Wahid Nabi. <laughs> See, and then you came back and said the quarterback twice. He's like, oh, you're playing along really well, but you're not helping me out. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, Wahid. And, uh, yeah, he, he, had a, he had a great freshman year. So, you know, we're trying to, trying to get him to make those next steps. It's almost like, uh, as you kind of said, there was no better time for you guys to move to the Liberty League because your opponents were going to be just as unfamiliar with Ithaca as as you were with them. Does that does that kind of make sense? Yeah, for me, everything was new. Right. You know, I I didn't really have any experience with with this league. We played Fisher in the playoffs in 2011 or 12. I can't remember when, but those that that's the only experience I've had with any of the Empire Eight or Liberty League teams. So. To me, everything was new, um, and everything was was fresh, and um, and just I had no perspective. So you know, it's just uh, I don't know. I guess it could work both ways. Um, is kind of what you're saying. You've been in Division Three, obviously, throughout. Uh, you, other than a, a couple of years at Penn, uh, you basically never left from uh, being a Gallardi Trophy finalist at Rhodes. Uh, we mentioned uh, a little bit of your resume in between there, uh, coaching at Redlands, that sort of thing. What what have you seen? How have you seen Division Three kind of change or evolve over the course of your? Well, I'm not going to count how many years. How many would that be? That'd be about 15 years or so. Yeah, four years playing, two at Redlands, six at Hopkins, and one here. Um, so you know, a, a pretty much since 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, minus three years, um, I've been involved in Division Three football. Uh, here's the deal: um, it's it's just it, it's so different. Um, it's uh, it's just very competitive. Um, you know, I think the level of football is really, really raised. Um, the the players, uh, the players, the way the guys train in the off season, how serious they take um, playing the game of football. Um, you know, it, as much as everyone wants to sit and say, you know, that, you know, whatever the D3 mentality means, the kids don't treat it that way anymore, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, at Rhodes, you know, it's truly when I was there, we kind of certainly went in, out, in and out of season and, you know, had guys who were more committed than others. But, you know, you know, I'm watching the way these teams, you know, the teams were playing against how they look physically and um, the time commitment they must be putting in, in the off season. And the type of athletes that are running around the, the game is just uh, is just drastically changed, in my opinion. And I'm not going to ask you to pick favorites necessarily, but thinking back to uh, your playing days, how does the Cortica Jug game now that you've been through one? How does it compare or differ or match up with Rhodes Sewanee, for example? Oh, that's not even a fair comparison. <laughs> that, I mean, that meant a lot to me um, as a player and the, the players involved. But, I mean, we literally played Swanee twice on their fall break with literally 37 wow. people in the stands. You know that's, what I mean? So that's no good. Uh, how do you put a how do you put a rivalry game like that in the middle of the season like that? I don't know. It, yeah. it, 
I mean, it meant a lot to us, and I was the type of player you could put the ball down anywhere and we'll go and play it, and I'll play it as hard as I can type of deal. But um, the only thing that was comparable to this, you know, I grew up in Houston and played at a big high school down in Texas, and it, the only thing that compares to it that I've ever been a part of it is our big rivalry game um, at uh, out, of, out of Houston. Um, it's the only thing I've ever been close to it. I mean, it was loud. It was aggressive, um, and uh, it was um, – it was fun. I mean, it was a lot of fun, and I think it was awesome for for our players to to get to be a part of that atmosphere. And fortunately for me, you know, from where I'm from in Houston, I got to experience that in high school. But I don't know if anybody on our roster has ever been a part of something like that. And uh, and that's just uh, that's just it's just awesome. Keith, I know we both like to hear people's perspectives about how Division Three has changed over a certain number of years. And Dan Swanstrom's time in D3 spans back to the early 2000s, but it's not a super long time in the grand scheme. And so what he describes is either a big change in Division Three in general or at least a different level of competitiveness between Rhodes and its rivals and then Johns Hopkins and then Ithaca. Well, I'm always fascinated by the journeys players and coaches take to get to their stops along the way and fascinated by D3 program building as well. But I'm not sure I would have presented the changes over the years the same way Coach Swanstrom did. Having played in the 90s and spoken to dozens of older players and coaches and covered it off and on since the 90s, uh, I characterize the changes over the years as more cosmetic in that the offenses and defenses change, the equipment changes, the conference alignments change. There are more games on turf now than grass, etc. But the heart and effort of the players was and always will be. What I found interesting is that he seemed to hint at D3 getting more dedicated in the offseason and, and essentially being less D3, which is not something that we hear when we talk to players who still find time for academic pursuits and other extracurricular stuff while excelling at football. But given coaches stops at Rhodes, Redlands, Johns Hopkins, and now Ithaca, that's a pretty wide gamut of D3, so I trust he knows what he's talking about. I wonder when we're going to see an Ithaca-Johns Hopkins game because uh, what uh, Swanson describes is a really great experience as an assistant under Jim Margraff. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that maybe uh, as the Hopkins opener since that Randolph-Macon-Johns Hopkins uh, first game of the season haven't gone so well for the Yellow Jackets. A snowy February afternoon, and I'm sitting in the office of Coach Matt Moore, the head coach of the University of Northwestern in St. Paul, Minnesota, although technically I believe in Roseville, Minnesota. Uh, nonetheless, uh, a great view, but it doesn't look anything like football weather right now. No, well, it, you know, it depends on where you're from. You know, for us right now, you know, it, it, we'd love to be playing football out there in the snow. So that's, our, that's the northern Minnesota in, in, in us a little bit. When I was looking at your schedule, one of the first things that obviously leapt off the page, you guys are going to California, and obviously that's a, a place I think I'd probably rather be today than necessarily here in, in the Twin Cities, but how did that come about? That's a really interesting trip for you guys. Pretty excited about that with uh, some of the change in our in our conference with uh, Eureka leaving. That obviously that opened up a, a, a spot in our schedule for us to, and at the same time when you, we found out Eureka was leaving, um, the coach at Claremont Mud Scripps had reached out to me asking for a game, and so the timing kind of worked out well. And then we've really never had an opportunity to kind of to get on a plane and do a game. You know, we although we travel all around the Midwest, which is kind of unique to some D three. You know, where we get into up to four, five states a year. Um, we've never really gotten onto a, a long trip, and uh, and so we had that opportunity, and we thought, well, it'd be kind of fun to do. Times out well. We felt like we could uh, financially handle that, and. We knew the guys would love doing it, so we thought, well, let's go for it. 
compared to say a bus ride to uh, McMurray? How long is that as a bus ride? Well, you know, it'll probably be less time to be on the plane to get to California. You know, I think our furthest trip is down to Greenville, um, which is just outside St. Louis, and that's about eight and a half hours. So, you know, you look at a four-hour plane ride, um, doesn't look that bad to us. Yeah, I think even with going through security and getting bags checked and uh, getting your bags out at uh, presumably LAX or wherever, it would certainly be shorter. Uh, you were talking about changes in the UMAC. So Eureka's leaving, and that's something I just really wanted to talk about because now you're in a conference where there's no defending champ. Um, the head coach at St. Scholastica, which had won a, a bunch of championships in the last several years, has left, so there will be some change there. What is, uh, how does the UMAC feel for 2018? You know, I don't know. You know, I, Eureka was a great team and, uh, and a strong team, and, and, you know, frankly, I knew they were going to be a great team last year with what they had coming back, and I think they'll be great this year. And so um, certainly a, a powerhouse in our conference walks away. Um, I think the team at Scholastica, they've been pretty strong under both their head coaches that they've had over the last – um, 10 years or so. And, and so I think they'll continue to be um, a strong team. Um, you know, a couple teams that really I thought played excellent and, and were uh, very competitive last year, Westminster um, down in Missouri and then McMurray down in Illinois. Yeah. Um, McMur McMurray really pushed to, to win the conference last year, has, has a um, national, you know, national leading rusher the last couple of years. Um, I think that kind of stays the same with some of that. What were some of the things that you learned in, in taking over the program? And I think, if I remember correctly, kind of late in the off season, right? Mm -hmm. Too. So, how was that adjustment period? And then, what do you take away from that in order to uh, move forward here in your second year? Yeah, you know, uh, I took over in late April, and so it was, in football terms, you know, a little bit later. And so, um, I think a lot of the off season, I didn't go through an off season as the head coach. And so certainly the off season as an assistant looks one way. As a head coach, you don't you don't know everything. You know whether it's scheduling games or you know meeting with players or grades, all these different things. Um, there's unknowns, and so I think now getting into a point where I started last year almost, I'm starting to to re, get to redo things instead of experience things for the first time. Um, I think a lot of the year, you know, it feels like a speeding bus where you're just trying to, okay, what, what do I need to make sure I'm getting done? Now it's either eliminating things that I didn't like or starting new things that I did like now that I've had a little bit of time to maybe take a breath um, and decide, you know, what I want to establish and what I want to do and what are my emphasis, you know, in the off season or during the season or, you know, however you want to look at that. I was taking the liberty of reading what you have written on the quote-unquote whiteboard, which is uh, really a window overlooking uh, a nice wooded area and a pond here. But I noticed that uh, you're keeping the breakaway, so that must be one of the things that you really like. I know that is, you know, something that is was, I guess, maybe brought to Northwestern through the Pacific Lutheran Connection, which we all love at d3football.com. But, um, you know, that's obviously something that you want to keep. Yeah, you know... Again, I'm an alum of the program, so I participated. You know, in 1995, I came here as a guy from Chicago, and all of a sudden we go to some camp, and I'm like, what are we doing? You know, I'm, I'm ready to play some football, and all of a sudden now we're doing skits. You know, and so it's a different deal. The head coach at the time, Jimmy Miller, he had brought that in from some connections with PLU mm -hmm. and, some, and some guys he knew. There was, a, there was an assistant coach named Kirk Wester who was here who was a PLU guy who had brought that in. And so it's... It's one of those things where it's it's at the core of who we are as a program, I think, more so than anything else. You know, football is, is an important part, and, and the school and our faith-based institution, all of that is vital. Um, but breakaway really, you know, encompasses all of those things um, when we look at relationships. And so, yeah, as long as I have a, a say in it, we'll be doing breakaway. 
it won't be till late July or early August that I'll call you back and we'll have a more detailed conversation about this. But what does your team look like for 2018? You know, I think I think our team. Um, I'm excited to see what our team's going to look like. I guess would be my number one answer. We we return a, a number of guys um, on defense. Um, certainly, we lost uh, our offensive and defensive lines, and that that'll be two of the bigger you know areas, which are major areas. We lost four seniors on the defensive line. We actually lost six seniors on the offensive line. So we're basically re- revamping the entire offensive and defensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the skills positions on both sides of the ball we bring back, and so that's pretty exciting. Um, so really, it's you know. It's exciting to see who's going to step up and fill in those roles that are there. It's exciting to see who's going to come in and kind of push. We had a lot, a lot of young guys playing last year, and so they'll have some game experience and you know some off-season experience, which will be fun to see. It's a good reminder as you drive onto campus uh, how much, um, uh, how, uh, how much in terms of resources the school has put into athletics over the past several years. The the way that the uh, you know now the uh, the football stadium just kind of flanks you as you drive onto campus. Uh, you know, new grandstand, all that sort of thing, turf field, which is a significant difference over when you played or even, I think, when you arrived as an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. How much does that, you know, help you now? Now that you've seen kind of the long-term impact of this over the course of several years, how does that, uh, you know, set you apart in terms of recruiting these kids? You know, I, I don't know how much, um, you know, certainly before I would say we had our, our field and what we had out there. Um, was not something you'd want to show off, yeah. you know. So uh, game day visits and things like that weren't as weren't as exciting. Certainly, you couldn't have as good an atmosphere. I think the atmosphere for a college football game is major, not just for the recruits or the, for the players, but for the institution. I think mm-hmm. that's an important part at the heartbeat of any school that has college football. That's a major deal on a Saturday, and so I think um, with with the um, with the commitment that our institution has made into athletics, with with uh, building the new field and the complex out there, um, I think it's helped a lot just on the campus and what what a game looks like. Yeah. And you know, when you get now, you know, this year we have three night games. You know, when you have a night game on a college campus, that's an exciting time. You get mm-hmm. a great atmosphere in the area. Um, recruiting wise, you know. I don't know. I always tell guys I don't want them to come here because we've got a beautiful field. We have a beautiful field. A lot of high schools are have gorgeous stadiums, you know. Um, but it certainly isn't going to sway someone from not coming here anymore. Yeah. And that and that was maybe where more where we we were at where our stadium might sway someone like I don't want to play here. Well, now we've got a beautiful facility. Probably um, not a lot of spots that are as nice as what we have out there. So uh, we love it. You guys recruit from all over the place, right? And tell us a little bit about the nature of the institution and then how that affects your recruiting base. Yeah, you know, we, we have guys, I was just telling someone today at lunch, last year we had players from Hawaii, California, Colorado. I mean, you name a state, we had them from across the country. And, you know, we, we pull from a unique um, pool of, I think, prospective student-athletes because we're a faith-based institution. So um, not only are we looking for great football players, but we're looking for great football players who have a faith and have a faith walk, and they want to go to a school that's going to encourage them in that faith mm-hmm. walk while they play great football. And so um, certainly our pool that we pull from is a little bit smaller. So that, you know, it doesn't force us. We're glad to do it. We love doing it. But we expand our search kind of across the country looking for, you know, men that have a heart for Jesus and want to play football while they do that. So you will be spending a little bit of a time on airplanes this year, um, but you spend and will continue to spend a lot of time in the bus. What do what do you do on those long bus rides? What do the kids do on those long bus rides to kind of I don't know pass the time if nothing else? You, you know we love the travel. 
you know, it's, it sounds weird, but, you know, you get on a bus and you got to go eight hours and it's a couple mm-hmm. coach buses and you're with people you, you love and you want to be around. And so it actually becomes kind of a fun deal. And I think we break up our trip pretty well with we don't just sit on the bus for eight hours straight. We go a couple hours, stop to eat and go another couple hours and then we'll do a walk through sometimes at high schools you know we've walked through at Notre Dame we've walked through at Kinnick Stadium you know we kind of do walkthroughs a lot of it's at Iowa Wesleyan a school in our conference we've done walkthroughs there <laughs> you know so um that's kind of fun once we you know get to the town wherever we are we go to movies you know as a team and stuff um typically on the bus I do a lot of reading and then I watch a lot of movies so and I think most guys are it's movies or movies homework or playing cards does it get to a point, is there a movie that's in heavy rotation, or does like each year's team have a, a different feel and gravitate towards a certain movie? Is there something that gets watched every trip? I, I don't know if there is anymore. You know, I can remember years ago when like Dumb and Dumber would be on every, you know, trip, and you got, you know, you can quote that, and that was getting quoted every week. Um, I don't think, lately, I think it's been kind of a pretty good rotation, and, and year to year, you you kind of get a sense of the, the personality of the team yeah. based on um, kind of what they bring. Now, we as coaches, you know, we bring some of our favorites because we're going to watch Count of Monte Cristo. We're going to watch Princess Bride because, oh, nice. you know, they, you know, those were those were made before these guys were born. Right. So we have to kind of give them some culture with some of those. <laughs> culture from the 1980s is really popular on this <laughs> yeah. podcast. Um, in any given year, if the spectrum of your team is from Princess Bride to Rocky IV, let's say, right. just to pull two movies from the 80s, what kind of mix or where do you think people kind of land on that spectrum at any given time? You've beaten my giant, which means you're exceptionally strong. So you could have put the poison in your own goblet, trusting on your strength to save you. So I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. Well, positionally, because you can always, you know, the old line is always at the Princess Bride. You know, you can always go that way. Um, uh, And probably half our coaching staff would be Princess Bride and half will be, you know, Rocky. Um, as, as you look at it. So you would have put the poison as far from yourself as possible so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. Year to year, this year's team, you think, for the spectrum, um, I think we're probably, we probably edge towards Princess Bride, so more so than Rocky. I think we've got a lot of Rocky, but there's a lot of Princess Bride guys. A few cheers now for Rocky Balboa. Suddenly, Moscow is pro-Rocky. I fall on the Princess Bride side of this spectrum, too, although Hoosiers would probably be my choice or, or Major League. Those are my go-to movies of the period, I think. Pat, you should ask every coach from now on to characterize his team as a movie, <laughs> preferably from the 90s or late 80s. There we go. Uh, that's great. If I had to name a movie that reminds me of my playing days, and we watched some bad ones on those road trips, I can think of uh, Barbed Wire, which was like a Pam Anderson vehicle. Um, th- those road trips, by the way, sound exactly like Northwesterns. Um, right down to the stop in and walk through, uh, you stop to eat, all that kind of stuff. Uh, remember, you know, we were alive in the days of video stores and the three for the price of two three day rentals. So I think we would just hit the video store as the bus pulled out, get a few movies and, uh, and uh, watch them all on the trip. Anyway, if I had to character, if I had to name one that reminds me of my playing days, I think I'd go with the original Bad Boys with uh, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence and uh, and Taylor Leone. Justice will be done. You forgot your boarding pass. That's the line they always use in the commercial, even though it's an insignificant line in the movie. But I digress. Props though for pulling out the best dialogue from Princess Bride, of course, except for my name is Inigo Montoya. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! 
Yeah, normally I'm not going to drop a, a bunch of clips into our pre-recorded interviews, but it, it seemed just necessary to demonstrate maybe there are people who don't know. If you don't know The Princess Bride and you're listening to this, go find it. Go go Netflix that bad boy. Um, my kids love it, and my kids are about the age of players at this point. Um, I referenced this in the recording, and we've already dropped this man's name in once on this episode, but uh, I really just uh, loved to see the frosty Westering legacy carried forward. Yeah, Coach Moore talked about Breakaway, which is a really unique tradition to D3. And um, essentially what it is, is starting the season, starting camp, a lot of us, when we come in, you know, you put your stuff in the dorm. You may be the only kids on campus besides the other athletes. You go, you run your conditioning test, and they see if you stayed in shape um, over the summer. And the first few days of camp are, are more like boot camp, like they're just terrible. You're just trying to get through it. And, and sometimes it's almost like designed to weed out the the players who don't really want to commit. Um, breakaway is more like uh, they leave the the pads, the footballs off to the side, and they basically go uh, on a road trip bond for for three days uh, before practice. And if you think of the act of a football season, besides being competitive and trying to win, um, as a personal growth, team bonding type of thing what better way to start the season so i mean i think that's a real fascinating tradition and it's good to know that some of uh frosty westerings legacy whether it whether or not um how much of it remains in place at uh at pacific lutheran it has spread to, to places like northwestern and greenville Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Jim Hilbert, the head coach at Baldwin-Wallace. Coach, uh, first of all, uh, congratulations on a, a, what I would think would be a pretty successful first year uh, back in Division Three, and uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Um, you know, this is um, a podcast in which we're talking with a bunch of coaches who are entering their second year at their school, um, but obviously this is not new for you in terms of Division Three head coaching. Um, and head coaching in general. But what was your biggest takeaway from 2017 now as you move into a second season at Baldwin-Wallace? For us, I think we took some right steps in the right direction. Uh, I think we laid down a really solid foundation of our football program at BW. But uh, obviously the OEC is a, is a big-time grind. And uh, I think our kids understand now the kind of type of culture we're trying to create at BW. And uh, I realized, too, it's a, it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. And uh, I think our guys are taking some big punch steps this offseason and creating that tougher-minded culture in the FBW. And I think our, our kids are going to be really excited about taking steps in the, the spring ball, just becoming more familiar with their offense and defense. I just figure I should point out here at the moment, a coach is joining us via cell phone. I bought a new piece of technology over the course of the last month or so to connect cell phones more seamlessly into the podcast. Um, every once in a while, if things pop in and out, uh, I apologize in advance. Coach, you took over a proud program that has been kind of up and down in recent years. What did you hear from alumni when you were hired? And was it kind of necessary to bring some of those alumni back into the fold? Oh, there's no doubt. That was one of my main objectives when I got there at BW. That I need to engage our, our football alumni, bring them back. Uh, one of the things that we did, we had a football golf outing, which is great. I think it really brought, brought those guys back engaging in our football program. 
and uh, you know, just being around our being around our football program and open doors, uh, having emails, sending them out, let them know what's going on with the football program. You know, I think those are the type of things that that they really want to be involved in and help out with our football program, and I just want to know what's going on. And what's it like as a head coach with a, a big alumni base? Do you, I imagine, and I, I've heard the, some of this from some head coaches in the past, but I imagine you get a, a lot of communication from from alumni, whether it's via text or, or via email or, or maybe on social media, that sort of thing. Oh, there's no doubt. They want to reach out. They want to know what's going on with the football program. You know, what are things looking at for the 2018 football season? You know, what can we do to, you know, make the football program better? you know, for years to come. Well, you can uh, direct them to the podcast too, at least for, uh, for February. <laughs> I definitely will. I know you're down in Florida recruiting uh, right now, so I appreciate you taking out the time to uh, have this conversation with us. Um, you know, back 15 or so years ago, D3 recruiting in Florida was still a, a relatively novel idea, and now, you know, schools are doing it, uh, of course, all the time. What's the competition like for a D3 school trying to get kids out of that state? Oh, it's very, very, very competitive. But, uh, just for example, the Tampa Bay, but, uh, the Tampa Bay uh, Recruiting Fair, there's 57 schools there. And uh, so there's a lot of schools out here trying to attract Florida talent, uh, you know, up north. Are we to the point where we no longer have to explain what Division Three athletics is to those sorts of prospects like we do in some other parts of the country? Or do you still have to kind of overcome that barrier of uh, helping them understand what non-scholarship athletics is about? I think it's become better, but I think you still have to explain to the parents and the kids what D3 football is or I think notoriety and stuff like that because it's been with social media, being on TV and things like that. Do you have Florida kids on the roster now? And what's it like engaging with those parents and getting the, the kids to come, for that matter, up to Ohio from a, a pretty far distance? Yeah, we do. We have 18 kids currently on roster, which I think that helps with us recruiting, you know, Florida guys down. Let them know that you can call BW home because there's 18 guys up there that have already done that in the past. Yeah. And we got to go to a lot of the same schools that those kids are from. As I'm looking at the 2018 schedule for you guys, I know the Ohio Athletic Conference master schedule doesn't really build in recognition of some of the great rivalries in the league, but you guys finally have John Carroll to close the regular season. How much bigger does that make that game, which I have to imagine is already pretty big for you guys? That's a huge game. Obviously, last year was our second game of the season, but to have it the last game of the season, it's where, it's where it should be. I think it's a great rivalry. I should be a part of it last year. The intensity gets cranked up another notch, and uh, I think it's one of the best robberies in this You, You guys, of course, right there, both in the Cleveland area, you must stumble across each other in recruiting in that area of the of the, of the the state all the time. Oh, there's no doubt. You have obviously there's recruiting battles with John Carroll, and obviously a lot of the other boys in, in Cleveland. The um, you guys both had new head coaches last year. Of course, a, a significant portion of the Ohio Athletic Conference has had uh, coaching turnover over the course of the last couple of years, and that will continue into next season. But you know, like thinking about you taking over one half of a great rivalry, uh, Fanati taking over another half of the great rivalry. Do you do you guys ever talk and go try to figure out what 
what the rivalry is all about. I mean, you have a, you know, there's not a long history of, uh, of institutional knowledge for either of you guys heading into a, a not only a pretty big rivalry, but last year at the beginning of the season too. No, I, I mean, I feel like I got a good coach for not with Cincinnati, but just hearing it from our alums and current players, you know, you know, it's cranked up another notch going for the rock. Yeah. Tell us about the rock. And I think that's, you know, it's one of those things what our kids want to, you know, obviously win that and be part of that, be able to win that, like, obviously, with part of that winning tradition. And, uh, you know, guys are excited about that, that game. Do we, do we just call it? records, it does not matter. Yeah. Do we just call it the Rock because it's easier than Cuyahoga Gold Bowl trophy? Yes. I think it definitely is. It makes it a lot <laughs> Makes it a lot easier. Okay, I understand now. I was trying to picture because you know uh, I'm trying to keep, of course, probably fifty or sixty different uh, trophy games straight in my head, and I could not remember what the rock was, and that's why. Um, the uh, so one of the things that, of course, that uh, we talk with Ohio Athletic Conference coaches not named Karis, uh, uh, fairly frequently about is having to face Mount Union, one of the, uh, you know, the, the top powers in Division Three football, and doing it on a regular basis. What's it like now going into that league over the course of the last couple of years and knowing that you have to, in order to, potentially in order to make the playoffs, you have to get past those guys? Oh, I mean, and I think it's just about the competition. You know, kids want to play, compete against the best. And that's the kind of kids you want to tell when you recruit. Hey, we want to compete against the best. We're going to recruit one of the, against one of the best programs in the country, year in and year out. And to obviously win a national championship, win a national championship, you got to beat those guys. Coach Karras and the program has done a great job over the last 23, 25 years. <laughs> yeah, you kind of lose track of the numbers, right? It's <laughs> um, yeah. we often go with umpteen because. Um, you know, it's hard to do the math. It's umpteen national trips to the quarterfinals, et cetera, in a row, that sort of thing. I know that uh, we had a really long podcast last month, so we're going to keep these conversations short here in February. But I do want to talk a little bit about the 2018 uh, team, the 2018 Yellow Jackets. So I know that uh, you guys have some key pieces back on offense, but uh, why don't you give us a kind of a thumbnail sketch of uh, what you guys are looking at for this upcoming season? About like our first three games are at home. Uh, which we're very excited about. Uh, our uh, first two games are at night. I think offense, when we look at us, Jake Hudson, our starting quarterback, coming back for his senior year. Uh, offensive line-wise, we lost one guy. Uh, and I think we'll have, we need to take a huge step with up front with our offensive line. And then on the outside, we have a lot of guys back there. The, the Greer twins, Rob Wolfington. Chance Skywalks, Jordan Leverett. Uh, there's a lot of guys. Ty Galler on the outside that we were really excited about having back. And then we have some good running, good young running backs coming in. Right, uh, we had a guy registered last year, John Murray and Cradell Robinson are two guys that we're really excited about are in our offensive backfield. Were people pretty uh... – Pretty satisfied with you guys bouncing back from three and seven in 2016 to six and four last year. I mean, I think some people were satisfied, but you know, we weren't as a coach for staff. And there's there's three out of those four losses that we are we in games that had opportunities maybe to get a win, but we weren't there yet as a football program. 
Last year, definitely a good step forward. Still work to be done at Baldwin-Wallace, if I were to sum that up in a sentence. The contrast between the OAC coaching turnover, the idea that you have to beat Mountain Union, and recruiting Florida shows you what a difficult job all those OAC jobs are. They're not for the faint of heart. And that might be the reason why there's so much turnover. But we've seen John Carroll go deep in the playoffs and further back capital, and we know Baldwin-Wallace and Otterbein and Heidelberg and Ohio Northern can all make the playoffs. BW, though, does have a proud tradition and could really be a future power given its locale and its institutional strength, and then looking back at what Hilver did at Thomas More. The Saints had four playoff appearances, six PAC titles, and 67 wins from 2007 to 2015. Even though we're in the offseason, we know you still have questions, so uh, we throw that out throughout that reminder to hit us up on Twitter when we're headed into the studio. Uh, we got a question from uh, Logan Hansen. It was a tweet. I'm not going to completely quote it because it wasn't really in the form of a question, but the quote is, or the question is about. Um, you know, why strength of schedule is typically so high for independence. And, and I had to figure, throw a caveat out there because it doesn't really apply to independence if you're Finlandia, uh, but it does like if you're WashU this past year had a high strength of schedule. Wesley, when it was trying to make the playoffs and succeeding so as an independent, did so as well. And the reason why is partially mathematical. You're not weighed down by your own conference schedule where you're going to play seven to nine games against teams who are all going to eventually flatten out near 500. So even though Thomas Moore isn't in a position to cherry pick, you've got one of the better teams in the WIAC. You've got one of the better teams in the USA South. You have uh, what is usually one of the better teams in the Liberty League. I guess we'll see, et cetera, et cetera, right? And you're not weighed down by then having to also play Teal or in past years Grove City or someone who in the pack might have brought uh, Thomas Moore's strength of schedule back down. I know it's a kind of a math geeky thing, but uh, they do really have a really strong schedule that could get them into the playoffs. Especially if you, you win some of those big games, you beat a Platteville or a St. John's, then all of a sudden uh, the, the rest of your schedule looks a lot better. I'm just amused by the idea of you explaining math to Logan Hansen. I'm not really explaining. In that sense, I'm not explaining math to Logan Hanson. I'm just saying not all independents are in a position to make the playoffs. Now, of course, Thomas Moore this year is going to be the only one, the only independent, let alone the only one trying to make the postseason. Every thought of yours is a friend of mine. Keith, just a couple of thoughts that we have uh, left that we could get out here. Uh, I got a phone call about uh, maybe a week and a half or two weeks after we did our last podcast from someone um, loosely associated with the Whitewater program, breathlessly saying, hey, did you hear that we hired a new offensive coordinator? I didn't see anything about that on your site. I did not respond to the person. Uh, We had mentioned it in the podcast. Um, And now they're off searching again because they hired away the offensive coordinator from UW Lacrosse. And then that person left to take a uh, uh, an assisted job at Northern Illinois, so they're back on the block for that. Well, I think they're back on the block, so to speak, um, as far as, I don't want to say the pressure's on, but as much as it can be, because you, you want to see, is Whitewater going to consistently, was, was last year sort of an anomaly, uh, or are they going to consistently get back to being a, a 9-10 win team? Uh, and then, of course, 10 wins means you win several more in the playoffs. Or are they going to be, um, you know, the type of team that might go seven and three uh, and finish second or third in the WIAC? I, I think that it'll be we'll watch them very closely this year. And I think we thought 
given the the quarterback was in place, that they would have a little more offensive success than they did in the early part of last season. We're coming close to an hour. We already talked about the coaching change at Pacific Lutheran. Uh, WNL hired Garrett LaRose. That's a promotion from within, uh, just like when they hired you know, Scott Abel to replace replace Frank Muriello. They hired from within. Uh, they had a couple of uh, Division Three head coaches who were in the uh, final running for that, but ended up, uh, you know, choosing the guy who was already there on campus. Wow, that that's a fascinating thing to me because so much of WNL's identity was the offense that that uh, Abel ran, and uh, he he moved on to Davidson, which is a a, a fairly nice step up from WNL in that it's it's uh, similarly very good school and the recruiting will be similar but it's um, you know it, it's obviously competitive FCS program I, I think when at all possible teams want want continuity or players always prefer continuity I don't think they ever want someone to come in from the outside unless they just hate the coach they have um, but for the administration they have to take a much longer view and when continuity is the wisest choice or when it's deemed to be the wisest choice i think that's always uh that's interesting and, and that'll be worth watching if uh, if wnl um is basically the same team offensively next season or not the other most interesting move from the course of the last couple of weeks is uh, brian maper being uh, hired at east texas baptist where they're now will be on their fourth head coach in four seasons scott highsmith stepped down uh, we interviewed him on the podcast uh, last offseason uh, he stepped down because uh, to um, help with his wife's health issues. So not really a uh, a situation in which the school wanted to make a change. But now you know four head coaches for these seniors in four years. That, and that's tough. Having gone through it once uh, as a player, you it almost bisects your your time there. Like you're like the the era of this coach and the era of that coach. Things were run a little differently. Um, to have to do it four times. I guess they're good at it and they're they're maybe what it helps is you build your bonds and your traditions um, through the players themselves and not necessarily through whoever the head coach is. They have finished uh, seven and three each of the last three seasons uh, amid these coaching changes. We'll do this again next month, I guess. We will. Uh, And this was Around the Nation podcast number 192, released on February 26th, 2018. Thanks for listening and uh, tune into the rest of our coverage throughout the offseason. If you like this podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or any of the other place where you download quality podcasts because that will help other football fans find it. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. Thanks to our guests. They were Dan Swanstrom, Matt Moore, and Jim Hilbert, and then sports information directors Justin Lutz, Jay Hillbrands, and Jeff Miller for their time on this edition of our show. And, of course, to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter. Use the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter, and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post with a legitimate email address at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. We're in the offseason here in Division Three football. This podcast is basically alternative programming for those of you who are out of the Division Three basketball tournament. If you're listening today, hey, today is the day the Division Three basketball brackets come out. So go on over there. But there's still new content on d3football.com on a regular basis. We'll follow the coaching changes. We'll follow players with pro prospects. You can look at all the 2018 football schedules and more, and you'll find a new podcast in this feed from us each month.
Hey, and it's just me alone in the rollout this time. But if you're looking for a a little bit of bonus podcast coverage, or if you missed it uh, a couple of days before this podcast dropped, we released a, a bit of a preview slash teaser episode. Keith and I talked about podcasts. We talked a little bit with Dan Swanstrom of Ithaca College. So you can find that elsewhere in this feed. Just look for something that dropped a couple of days earlier. Thanks a lot.